Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Brandon Thurston from WrestleNomics is up next. And we're going to follow Brandon with John Pollock from Post Wrestling. Thank you and good afternoon, everyone. But we can't ignore the math, okay? We can't ignore the data. Go on Google Trends, type in your name, then type in mine. You're a straight line. I'm a pyramid. I like the very direct question on that. Television ratings, downward spiral. Buy rates, plummeting. The time is now to turn the math around. Welcome one, welcome all to the Thanksgiving edition of Pollock and Thurston. I am John Pollock, a month removed from Thanksgiving, joined by America's own Brandon Thurston, who will be celebrating the big day tomorrow. Hello, Brandon. Hello, John. I was thinking about this discussion. So I need you to educate me as a dumb American about Thanksgiving in Canada. Is it? I know you have it in October. Is that right? Can you confirm Correct. that? Correct. Yes. And is it really like the whole Thanksgiving feast tradition like it is in the U.S.? Oh yeah, yeah. We we uh we kill our turkeys and do the whole same thing just five weeks before you do. Why? What's the history? Like, why? Why does the U.S. do it in November and, and Canada does it in October? Um, I, I can't give you like the uh the, the historical uh, origin point uh, of Canada other than we, we give thanks in uh, in October, get things in early, and thus we can get. The full value out of the, uh, the Halloween season followed by the Christmas season of, of sales that, that follow it and get a whole two months of Christmas season begins November 1st here in Canada. That's when Starbucks turns over. And that's kind of how you know your, your seasonal changes. And do you have a, do you have a November holiday then? We have, um, not a holiday, although some places get their, it, it's not like a statutory holiday for everyone, but Remembrance Day is one where, it's something some places do observe it as a a day off work, uh, but which coincides with our Veterans Day. Yes, um, yes, November eleventh uh, is the same. So some some crossover there, but we don't have a a November holiday uh, unless you call that the uh, this past Sunday's Grey Cup, which is a a big deal here in Canada. That's the CFL championship. The CFL, the Montreal Alouettes, the big winners uh, th- this year, watched by. Uh, 2.8 million people on TSN. Really? Oh, yes. They were uh, ecstatic over these these giant football numbers. Te- television is back. Television is back, Brandon. I've heard the NHL in the U.S. is doing really well. And Monday Night Football on Monday. Uh, largest broadcast of a Monday Night Football game since November of 1996. So you know what that means. Raw. Raw must have got killed. One of the lowest Raw numbers in history, I assume. Uh, probably, maybe lowest ever. How far Actually, did the demo did, fall, Raw, this week? The demo was up, and Raw what? was just fine. Total viewership was down a little bit from the prior week and from the surrounding weeks. It was just down by a hair. And the demo was actually the best demo, a .49. I'm doing this from memory at the moment. A .49 in the demo, which was the best demo for Raw this NFL season since it's all, begun all to go against football, football season. Yeah. 
this was one of the most impressive raw numbers in maybe all year when you consider what they were up against. Again, there were over 28 million people watching this Philadelphia Eagles, Kansas City Chiefs game on Monday night across ABC, ESPN, and the Manning cast featuring a very disinterested Mark Wahlberg, who, uh, man, his mug has just been shared everywhere, just looking like he would have rather been anywhere. But maybe he was missing out on Raw. But yes, so Raw's demo, the largest since Labor Day Monday. Um, This is an incredible stat. I think that obviously this is going to put uh, Drew McIntyre and Jay Uso very high onto future Observer Hall of Fame ballots because they have bucked the NFL. Yeah, and that they did a they opened the show right with their live promo. Um, I mean, it's a pretty normal looking trend. I, I, I looked at the quarter hours yesterday. I didn't see any huge stories here. Um, there's quite a decline for the the Nia Jackson Raquel Rodriguez match. Um, there's a there's a a lit up green box here for the demo for the eight for the nine forty five quarter, which had what the, the Miz and Gunther promo, which got a lot of talk about talk about it. Um, but it's a pretty normal trend, yeah. So yeah, I mean the fact that they were uh, they were up and not uh, affected as anything. I think that they're. I, I can't even look at WWE as like they're going through this this wave, but certainly there's engagement in the shows that I mean has just made it uh, less um, less reactionary than uh, you know something gigantic that's happening outside of its purview over uh, with, with a with a big game. Whether or whether or not Taylor Swift's parents. Uh, Opt to attend the game. Imagine the rating if Taylor Swift had been there. Then, uh, who knows what would have happened to Raw's demo? Maybe it would have, uh, maybe it would have doubled uh, at that point. But we are seeing total viewership year over year. We are seeing the the flattening out here of of SmackDown and and Raw up until this point. I mean, this week is an exception, but Raw is down year over year in total viewership. It's down 9%. How does the demo look? The demo is still up though for both of these shows on the quarter uh, and on the month. Raw is softening, um, but Raw's in November is up in the demo. So sort of a mixed story there uh, with, with TV for, for Raw and SmackDown. Maybe not as highly exceeding the prior year's trends as they were earlier in the year, but still doing pretty pretty healthy. Um, I did have a report today, though, looking at the WrestleTix made tickets distributed for Raw and SmackDown at house shows, and we are seeing some, some comparisons that are less favorable finally for WWE uh, compared to the same event in the same town. Um, where, whereas up until this point, up until November, it's been basically just a hot streak of they're doing better and better every time they go back to a given town with the same event. Yeah. And that's obviously something to, to, to look at it as well. Like they've been on, on this run now and looking at these year to year comparisons, is this going to be uh, a softening? And yeah, if it, if it is something that uh, extends for, uh, a period of time they are coming up on the uh th- their big final house show tour of the year which are traditionally a very well attended week of uh, wwe events and um but also a, a lull in their calendar much like last year where once survivor series is done uh there is no big show until the rumble which is two months away they don't have that uh end of the year or early january pay-per-view in, in between there yeah, it seems like they, they've really – so this year and the year before that, they've made enough for X to just not do a pay-per-view in December. Um, Other than the I NXT I, one. True. Yeah, as far as a main roster pay-per-view. Uh, you know, they did day one, uh, what's I guess coming up on two years ago. That was that was the big Nikon uh, pay-per-view, uh, his idea to name it that. Uh, but that, that did not continue in the following year. But uh, 
yeah, they, they leave this lull between Survivor Series and Royal Rumble the last couple of years. Well, let's stay on the on the ratings front since we had, we dove into this and just going to circle back to Friday because this was the rare uh, Friday night where we had uh, two hours of SmackDown going against two hours of Collision, followed by an hour of Rampage, followed by a half hour countdown special. Um, how many of these five and a half hours did you uh, stay glued to your television for on Friday night, Brandon? I had SmackDown on on mute, I think. Uh, collision. What was on collision? I did. So I did have, okay, wait. So collision, of course, and SmackDown were going head to head. I did have two screens going at one point. Um, and I think I, no, not even on me. I did have SmackDown on, not on mute. Um, I, I, I did see some of the, uh, the Dale Garcia and Miro, and Miro match. Um, do I remember anything from either of these shows? Not really. Uh, but I did watch some of it. I don't think I watched any of Rampage though. Yeah. It was, um, this was a lot of wrestling to digest and take in. It was a, a, an overload of, of wrestling television. And people certainly made their decisions on Friday night. SmackDown, uh, even with the more direct uh, com- competition in terms of professional wrestling, um, you know, viewership was basically the same from the prior week. 2,206,000 viewers, uh, their demo up 8% to a 0.62. Um, they did not take any uh loss in audience against collision they were um they were up from the prior week um and exceptionally so uh with female viewers from the week prior collision i mean we knew it was going to fare poorly against smackdown and it did uh doing what was expected to be its lowest viewership ever which was achieved and then rampage also doing its lowest viewership to date uh but this being in its regular time slot that it's in uh, each week, 280,000 viewers for Rampage, 0.09, slightly above what Collision did, but not a great three-hour block for AEW. Yeah, I, I, the big story here to me is that SmackDown had no impact here. Um, I think we all expected Collision would go in and have its lowest rating ever. It actually performed slightly lower than what Rampage performed at in the following hour. Um, but I was wondering if Collision, now granted Collision is not, like a strong injection into this time slot, given it, it is the, the the program that's moving out of its normal time slot, being preempted into SmackDown's time slot. But despite the fact that SmackDown was going against another pro wrestling show from the number two wrestling company, no effect. SmackDown was up from the last couple of weeks. Um, does that tell us anything about the strength of SmackDown or the weakness of rant, of Collision? In that, it just didn't have any effect on on SmackDown. You know, it's, it's not like collision is if it was if it was dynamite, let's imagine moving from Wednesday to Friday, I imagine it would have had a greater effect on SmackDown. I imagine SmackDown would not be up as much as it was up from the prior week compared to itself. Does that tell us that collision is moving closer to being of the of the importance of rampage in the viewers highs? I mean, if it's hard to take one one week's number and collision off of its normal night, but the fact it didn't not any kind of a not kind of, not one bit of a dent into SmackDown, like it would suggest to me that collision, um, I, I would say to the consumer of collision that it is a show that is closer to Rampage than it is Dynamite. I don't know if Dynamite would be, um, appreciably uh, better than this on a on a night where it's going against smackdown but i think i think it emphasizes the audience that smackdown has that this was seen as a relevant show that people were tuning into um now it's worth noting that collision 
um, just in looking at the female numbers, were actually up from Collision's numbers the prior Saturday. They actually did attract more female viewers on this Friday night. But overall, I mean, still, th- these are very low viewership numbers uh, for, for Collision. But yeah, it, it also was not a marquee show. It's not like they threw some big match at you or some must-see last-minute angle to hype up the pay-per-view the next night. Like, it was a two-hour wrestling show, and you got your requisite good wrestling on the show, easy to digest show, but nothing that you were going to be living or dying by if you caught it or missed it. Yeah, this wasn't um, the souped up competition that NXT versus Dynamite was uh, several weeks ago when they were both on Tuesday night. Um, Did did you see the core hours for Collision? Um, I thought it was remarkable that the first quarter of Collision had 386,000 viewers, 386, and then the very next quarter, 279, which is a little bit higher than the rest of the show was. This, this huge fall off from quarter hour one to quarter hour two. Um, I I looked into it and I, I asked, was there, was there a big lead in here or something? And you know what the lead in was? It was the Transformers movie being rerun on TNT. And I got the final quarter hour, which was lower than this first quarter hour uh, for Collision. So I don't know what, what it was about the content. It, the, the first quarter hour was a Christian Cage live promo. Uh, Ricky Starks, Big Bill, backstage segment. Miro versus Dan Garcia, which continued on to, to the next quarter. So I don't know if it was the content of that first quarter hour or if, or if, if people checked out, I don't know, I can imagine a story. People checked out Collision for, you know, less than 15 minutes and then gravitated to SmackDown. I don't know. They transformed into SmackDown viewers by minute number five or, or thought that they were watching SmackDown when Christian walked out and realized, wait a minute, this is not SmackDown. Uh, it, it, this, was obviously like a very, I did not know what the, what the lead in number was, but it, it's a very curious spike. And I mean, it's, it's something we, we could even look at like the first quarter of raw, like how many viewers are at least aware of a program being on that is going to tune in and see if something grabs them. And more often than not, they are not committed to, uh, sticking around much longer. And I don't know what you can do as a hook in those first couple of minutes that are going to keep someone that is just uh, tuning in, but at least the show had its curiosity and quickly lost it. Yeah. So, yeah but the, the first quarter hour did 315. So substantially lower than what that first quarter hour was. So I don't maybe they could have inherited some viewers, but that's pretty remarkable that the first quarter hour of collision itself was a lot higher than the last quarter hour of the transformers. <laughs> Have you heard the um, the biggest secret in uh, professional wrestling this week? I will let you in on this news that Rampage is airing on Saturday night this week. Are you aware? Of I this? heard about that. I became aware of that when I became aware that the the Nielsen ratings are going to be delayed for Thanksgiving, and that the uh, whatever day it's going to end up being reported. Uh, I, I have an, a note uh, on the Patreon about it uh, that you know Collision and and Rampage are going to come out together because they are airing on the same day, Saturday night. Yes. Yeah, so Rampage will air. They're doing the the tapings on Saturday night from Pittsburgh. So Rampage will air from 7 till 8 p.m. Eastern. Then at 8 p.m., we have Collision, which is going head-to-head with the Survivor Series. So it is possible that Collision and Rampage could do even lower numbers this week. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility, even with Collision back in its regular slot. I think Survivor Series has a ton of momentum going into it uh, between the War Games concept, your Randy Orton return, and it's just a hot streak that WWE seems to have interest-wise. Um, and we, we've seen enough patterns now of what these premium live events do on an AEW number. And this 
I would say this feels like a bigger show than SummerSlam did, and that would probably be the biggest one they had they have faced so far in Collision's history. Yeah, and I guess the pre-show probably of, of Survivor Series will probably start at seven and oppose Rampage. Yeah, which are pretty much just the Talking Heads hour of WWE, unless they opt to put a match on, which I mean maybe they will. But yeah, they right. will be going against the pre-show uh, with with Rampage. So um, it looks like a a, a tough weekend for. AEW viewership, but we have uh, three nights of pro wrestling in Chicago, and we'll be chatting about this uh, shortly with uh, Nick Houseman, who will be uh, joining us as well. Uh, that starts tonight with AEW Dynamite at the Wintrust Arena in Chicago, and then is followed by WWE at the Allstate Arena Friday and Saturday night for SmackDown and the Survivor Series, which are doing very well uh, ticket-wise. Survivor Series, WrestleTicks reporting, uh, eclipsing 17,000 tickets that have been distributed, and they are looking to fit as many human bodies as possible into this uh, into this setup that they have constructed for Saturday night. No stage. You can see it in the ticket map here. There's, there's going to be fans behind where the stage would be. Usually this entire end zone area would be blocked off. Um, so 17,000 tickets out. Uh, how is the SmackDown doing? I have the SmackDown here for the same venue. The Allstate Arena, formerly known as the Rosemont Horizon, is at 15,603 tickets out. And they are also trying to sell that that end zone stage area, which is, of course, going to be open because it's, it's going to be the same setup, apparently. But lots of tickets that you can get on that end uh, of, of the arena if you want to get to SmackDown. And this, this will also be airing on FS1, as they announced last week. So you will That's have... Right. Uh, Due to uh, NCAA football, they are moving SmackDown to FS1, which is um, something we had not seen in like previous years. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, it's only been that World Series week in October that SmackDown gets bounced to FS1. Last year in December, yeah, World Series. Yeah, I think just just World Series in the Pac-12 is what it's been preempted right. for. We, we had that Christmas time. Day SmackDown where they got that massive lead in from the NFL. That was on Fox. That was that was on Fox. Um, yes. But anyway, it, it was something way brought up, and it'll be interesting to see if Fox is more uh, reactive to throwing SmackDown on FS1 with a not regularity, but more often than in the past, given this next year, like you're – less incentivized when you know this is sort of a lame duck program on your schedule for the next year. Yeah. In, in blue here are all the, the FS1 preemptions. What was it preempted in for in July for? What would that be? July 21st, it was preempted to, to smack down. All-star game? No, not on a Friday. Um, I, I'd be guessing off the top of my head. Someone in the chat will tell us. Um, but yeah, it's December 2nd, I believe, was the Pac-12 championship game that was airing on Fox. And then we have New Year's Eve, there must have been something else, maybe college football, but yeah. So there you have it. That is uh, coming up uh, this weekend. We will chat with uh, Nick Hausman about the, uh, the 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 scene in Chicago uh, that this coming week, what he is attending, and uh, what to expect tonight, which will feature the start of the Continental Classic, the Put Your Money Where Your Mouth Is tournament, uh, as Tony Khan has uh, dubbed it, and we have the the league announcements. Brian Danielson, Andrade El Idolo, Brody King, Claudio Castagnoli, Daniel Garcia, and Eddie Kingston in one block. John Moxley, Swerve Strickland, Roosh, Mark Briscoe, Jay Lethal, and Jay White in the Gold League. Uh, as we will get three matches tonight, two more on collision. And the big emphasis, no run-ins allowed in this tournament. He's not kidding. No. Uh, 
I, I like that these are blue and gold as opposed to the G1 where you have A and B. Um, that's interesting. But what did, what did you think of, um, we talked about quite a bit on Sunday. Um, what did you think of the um, put your money where your mouth is, which is not a direct quote. It was slightly different. There was an F word involved in there. He, um, it's obviously, I think, criticism that that he has taken, again, as I think it was Jesse that like pointed this out. Like this was not, Tony being directly asked about, you know, reactions from fans or anything like this was his own explanation and, and kind of, uh, fishing for an explanation and coming across this where he, he gave this. But I think that there, it certainly comes off as more than a hint of frustration on his part. I think that they are trying to adjust its programming and not necessarily appreciating the, the response that he's obviously, uh, seeing and being aware of. I think that it's, I don't know, in in this climate to me, I I would never be attacking any portion of my fan base when I am asking them to follow so much content and to tune into so many hours of my programming that I would want to in any way invalidate their opinions or, um, you know, you better show up to watch this tournament. Um, However, like significant you want to put into his words, like, I think if you're a fan that has been uh, against certain aspects, like I think there's fair criticism to be out there. There's a lot of unfair criticism that I'm sure he is uh, privy to, but I feel that um, in, in this instance, like it, it's an audience that you don't want to turn yourself against your audience that I think you really want to position yourself as like, we are the fan first product that is always going to put uh, fans first even if privately you can vent your frustrations about unfair criticisms or things you disagree with, but I don't think you want to come out in such a combative way with your, your audience that is seeking a product that is differentiating itself and elements that they, they don't want to see this just become woven into a product that they did not sign up for. Yeah. And I know some would say in, in reaction to the reaction of, of his comment, which was not like, it's not like he was screaming this. It was an offhanded no. comment. He was just sort of saying it in passing, although he did bring it up in the context of defending the, the MJF and Adam Cole match and giving it credit for getting the crowd into it. Um, and he brought it up in the context of if you want to see a sports-like presentation, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, where there's no interference, well, put your money where your effing mouth is. Um, but are, are we making too big of a deal of something that was just sort of said in passing? Or is it, is it you know, is it right to take his words at face value? I think anytime you are, you know, representing your company and you're putting stuff out there, I think you have to expect that there is going to be weight placed behind those words that you are going to put out there. And if you're not willing to clarify it on the spot, then I think you, you leave it to that interpretation that if you're a fan that has not enjoyed aspects of, like, I think it was a pretty unanimous viewpoint that was taken from Saturday's pay-per-view about the whole like tease of taking the main event away. And here we are, we're going to hand the title over. And then the injured guys replaced that. I don't think people had much, like I, I did not enjoy any of that, but I thought that I thought the match itself was, was very strong. I don't know if everyone was on board with my opinion of the match itself, because it's gotten a, a, a terrible uh, cage match rating. But I think that is also tied to the whole storyline that was attached to it. I think that's where the Genesis of the negativity comes from, but to me, like that is you, you put out a product. You are hopefully you listen to your audience and you have that gauge. Like when we had Tony on, I asked him, 
who do you lean on when there can be a lot of bad faith criticism that comes your way? How do you wade through that to find the good faith criticism? And I think that that comes out has to come outside of your your right hand man in the company or your team around you. That is someone you pay not going to be incentivized to tell you your ideas are not working like they used to. I And I think that that's very important for a guy that I am sure is very active online and aware of a lot of the criticisms. And it can become very easy to paint it all as negativity and people that don't know what they're talking about and paint the critics as as your haters and and dismiss all kinds of criticism as bad faith when you can parse a lot of that as legitimate criticism that can improve your product. And when you take in so much of that, it becomes very easy to dismiss the the negativity as as uh, frivolous. Yeah. And well, we know he, re- he reads cage match um, and he reads a lot of things that are written online. Um, but this does, this is a different dynamic. I think then, than Tony and AEW have ever been in before as it relates to the content and the way that some people at least are reacting to it. Um, clearly there's, I mean, I thought it was really interesting that, you know, the conversation that you had with Rob Viper um, on, on a recent update where he was talking about how the crowd is different in terms of, you know, it feels more like, I mean, maybe it goes both ways in terms of maybe some of the people who were really enthusiastic about AEW and maybe wanted that sports-like presentation, maybe some of those people have fallen away and maybe as WWE has gotten better, it's made people feel more comfortable to be enthusiastic about WWE in non-WWE settings. Uh, he, he gave the example that you're hearing people, you know, do, do the, the LA night. Yeah. Uh, you know, do, doing uh Jay Uso catchphrases and things like that, um, at AEW shows, which would have been unheard of a couple of years ago. No, it's, um, I, I think it's become much more sort of the, the WWE product is not going to get you the, the negative kind of reaction that it would have I, uh, even a year ago, um, much less two years ago. I think that that's greatly changed that the WWE has rehabilitated itself in many people's eyes in terms of the the product on screen that they are presenting to you and I think as well you're getting AEW that uh, we can look at a lot of these shows that I think are still getting you know in terms of like their big shows they have put together some excellent pay-per-views uh, th- this this year but I think from a standpoint of no, they're they're just they've never been as much under the microscope as now, and I think you, you can see some of the um so, some of the areas of you know improvement that they need to make. And sometimes it's a very difficult challenge when you sense that there is a bit of that momentum shift and that cool factor that they have they have given up. Like as much as WWE would control market share, the cool factor belonged to AEW for some time, and I think that's been more than. Uh, dispersed over the over this last year or so and AEW is is very hard to fight that and reclaim some of that when you're you're putting out the, these great shows and it's areas of creative that are now being more scrutinized and I, I think you know that opens itself up to wider criticisms and that's sort of where we are now yeah and and we can detail you know, it, it would be one thing if the business was on an upswing while the product has changed, uh, but it's not the case. Uh, Dynamite ratings are down year over year. Rampage ratings are down year over year. Collision is a complicated story. I won't dictate a verdict about it just yet. Maybe, maybe sometime early next year. Uh, but ticket sales are are at best flat. 
and are at least, you know, I, I would say more appropriately, slightly down. Uh, so the business, the consumer trends don't point in the right direction uh, while these changes have happened. And, and there's, it's not just because of the con, not just because of the change in the content that we're talking about in terms of what's happening in the main event, MJF, Adam Cole. Um, the lack of CM Punk is a factor. Um, maybe there's other things that are a factor. The increase of content maybe just dilutes the attention span that people have or the time that people have to watch dynamite, uh, the increase in live events, maybe that dilutes it. Um, but, uh, but this is not coinciding with an uptick in, in fan interest. Yeah. And that's, you know, that is the balancing act that I think both companies have had to find as they continue to produce more and more content, uh, keeping it relevant. And inevitably there was going to be, I, I think a, a level of your, audience that you are asking of to keep up with your product that you understand there is going to be like we we go back and tony khan mentioned the fact that he he never wanted dynamite to be uh three hours and i think he understood the idea of less is more but we're in an economy now where more content is the order of the day but producing all of this content how much is that um you know, worn on your audience to keep all of these hours fresh and i think that becomes really, really tough when you're just being great is almost just considered expected at, at this point as, as well, that it's the managing of all of these hours that you're, you're talking about where AEW went from a two hour a week commitment to now it's, it's five a week plus now pay-per-views every six weeks on top of ring of honor, on top of all of these different things that you are being asked to watch. And if you're doing your best to keep up with these, you're being scolded at press conferences. Put your money where your mouth is, and you better be tuning in for this. Yes, um, I think I think it all adds up. I don't think there's one specific answer um, to any of this, um, but we know one man who may may have the answer to all of life's questions. He is uh, returning here as a guest on Pollock and Thurston. He's got some exciting projects on the horizon, and as the wrestling world descends upon his hometown, I'm sure he's going to be all over with coverage this week from. The House of Wrestling. He is the landlord, Nick Houseman, who is with us. Hello, Nick. Hi, guys. Yeah, the landlord of House of Wrestling. It's me. Man, I was just listening to you guys just say all these really super positive, upbeat things. I'm in the mood for some wrestling chat now. I'm great. Well, we figured with uh, with, with Chicago getting its its uh, fill, uh, quote unquote, of wrestling uh, coming up this week. Oh, I see what you did there. Uh, how much will you be uh, attending in person, uh, Nick, over these uh, next couple of nights between uh, Dynamite tonight and then back-to-back uh, -back at the Allstate Arena? Oh, I'm only going to be at Survivor Series. Uh, there, There's not really press events available um, for me tonight after Dynamite um, or after SmackDown on Friday. So um, I'm going to save myself some drives. Um, maybe sit sitting here watching them from home with my wife. But yeah, I'll be out there uh, Survivor Series Sunday night, uh, Saturday night. Um, and my wife has also been approved for press somehow uh so she'll maybe make her debut in the press scrum uh the press conference uh saturday night as well yeah and i have to have to point out if, if people are listening in audio only they're missing out on the gloriousness of nick hausman's mustache as, as the video viewers are enjoying right now thank you brandon yes uh i was gonna wait to the end but i have a new show uh rumor and innuendo um that's gonna be debuting this monday after survivor series the mustache will be gone by Monday, the mustache will actually be gone by Saturday. By the time Survivor Series uh, happens, I'll be clean cut. So this is this is it. This is last hurrah for the mustache here on old Pollock and Thurston. 
All right. Well, yeah. you, you should get a uh, video evidence of this uh, this mustache uh, bidding, bidding farewell. I mean, this should be a, this should be a hook for the the first episode. Uh, it comes we- it, it comes back every so often. It's you know whatever. Well, we're we're going to uh, uh, transition onward, but I guess just looking at um, sort of where where we are at, at this stage of things with AEW, this is of course a, a yearly tradition for them on Thanksgiving Eve in Chicago. Yeah. How would you assess this this couple of month period for AEW? We'll call it the the post punk period of a uh, all out weekend, and where we are some two months later. Man, it's really weird, right? You know, like the the product is a little all over the place. Um, it grabs people at certain points and then loses them at others. I uh, I think that you guys hit the nail on the head when you were talking just before I came on about how they just need a hook. They need something to make it cool again, right? I I, I agree with the general consensus that this G one style tournament is probably not going to give them any more of a cool factor or grab anybody outside of the people that are already watching it. So I think it's, I think they need somebody outside the box. You know, Tony has been so engaged with AEW and now Ring of Honor for years now, right? Even back in Memphis, they'd have like two bookers a year. You'd cycle out, somebody'd leave, somebody'd come back, keep the product fresh. Vince was always, you know, in charge, but there were those periods where he'd lean on people or bring people in close that, that he knew could give him a perspective that he wasn't seeing. Tony's got to find somebody that he can carry the weight with. You know, I've, I've been asking around quite a bit about what the creative process is like at AEW these days. And it just seems like it's kind of a revolving door of who has Tony's attention uh, at the moment. And it's really not a way to keep consistent booking. You know, it's, it's not only the fact that I don't think that Tony's keeping the same people around him all the time or consistently listening to people so much as how much freedom so many of the talents also seem to have. You know, it's not any one particular thing I think I can put my finger on that is creating this kind of uh, non-formatted uh, form- uh, style or whatever it is. Like, it's not gelling all as, like, one consistent thing from beginning to end. It's many, many things, and it's a, it's a lot of different reasons we're getting that at the moment. So, yeah, there you do, go. Do you, do you get a sense of who has his ear at the moment, or, or is, you know, or would we just be speculating? I, I mean, I would... I. I would be speculating, but I do know that they're uh, obviously like, for example, QT Marshall was somebody who was very engaged with Tony for a while. Seems QT is no longer the person that is the go-to. You know, you've had Jimmy Jacobs, Sanjay Dutz, another name that I've kind of heard uh, has fallen into more of a creative role or right-hand man with Tony, right? But then you still have the Bucks who are EVPs and, and Kenny who are coming in and wanting to have their say when it happens. And of course, Max, MJF has taken on a much more uh, invested creative role, especially in his work. And I know that he's, you know, got some input in some other stuff that's going on on the show as well. So even just right there, it's like four or five people that Tony's kind of looking to that are kind of doing their own thing. But I don't know that all of those people are necessarily always talking to each other to create kind of a show or a flow or cohesion that can go from beginning to end, you know, so... I would say on the other side, as we have talked about a lot of the challenges they have gone through, I mean, going into this year, if you were looking at the prospect of this is going to be a, a, a contract year for the Young Bucks, for Kenny Omega, and you're going to come out of this year with those three under contract with Hangman Page for years to come, right. a signing of Kota Ibushi, a signing of Will Ospreay, like these are significant signings that Tony has been able to to make, um, all of 
perhaps with the exception of an Ibushi, like you knew that there was interest on the other side of, of the fence from and like the roster is it's an embarrassment of riches. But the fact that those signings were made, Osprey being the latest one, like these are significant coups by the company that they've been able to finalize. Yeah, no, no. And for what I heard about Will signing, you know, uh, creative freedom was a big part for him. Like he, he just felt like from what I gather, he could be doing more uh, at AEW that he wanted to do. But that's what a lot, that's the reason a lot of guys sign with AEW, right? You always hear that. I have more creative freedom. I can, I can do more of what I want to do. Okay. Well, what happens when everyone has creative freedom and is doing what they want to do? You know, sometimes people are being heard and other people aren't because other people in the room are talking about what they want their creative vision to be. Mm-hmm. And you can't give everything, everybody all of what they want all of the time. And that is where you're going to have some frustrations with people. You know, again, Max gets everything he wants. Max can do whatever he wants. That's not the case for everybody else who thought they were going to get to be in that position. So I, I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I hope that they can find a way to, to get this all. Uh, I, I, I think they just need to, I think they need somebody there to, to work closely with Tony to help filter all these ideas and, and pull them all together. Because, you know, an example right now, the Bucks leaving TV, um, you know, acting on this heel turn or whatever. You know, I had heard rumor and innuendo, you know, that they wanted to have the match with FTR in L.A. You know, they wanted to run back what happened at Wembley and and it didn't happen. Right. And because of that, now you had to take two of your top draws, singles draws, Chris Jericho, Kenny Omega. They got to have their big match with their friends. They got to work with their friends. But they're they're whatever weirdly going away, it sounds like, because Brandon Cutler is going to be their voice piece or whatever. So, you know, there's a lot of I just feel like there's a lot of concessions and pushing and jockeying going on right now, and not a lot of straightforward. Direct- here's here's where we're going. Here's what we're doing. It's like it's kind of this amorphous flow right now of creativity over at AEW. Yeah. Uh, speaking of MJF, you you had a report a couple days ago, right? Um, about you know the, the questions around whether MJF has really uh, is he, is he re- is there really going to be a war of twenty four where he might negotiate with the WWE or not or has he you know I I would guess just as a guess that at some time uh, around when he returned to television after his infamous promo where he was sure. gone for about three months in twenty twenty two I would guess maybe there was an extension signed around that time but you, you had a report. Um, related to that recently i love you brandon brandon is correct yes it is a weirdly almost specifically 90 day period in which mjf was gone uh after calling tony a money mark on live television felt like a suspension but they never put it that way um yes i was i also heard rumblings at the time that max had re-signed or extended his deal for a bigger much larger uh deal uh at that time but they've played it up as if max's deal was never re-upped or re-signed they've tried to make this bidding war 2024 thing going on and uh i'm you know i'll just be honest here i was talking to somebody higher up at wwe the other day about something kind of innocuous that i thought was kind of innocuous anyway and out of nowhere was hit with a hey you ever see these uh mjf saying he's gonna go into this bidding war and i'm like how could you miss it And they're like yeah, we've never talked to him. Could you let people know that? And I'm like, okay, would if you'd like. And so that's where it started. But I would it had been mentioned in that call that there was an internal belief that he had resigned uh, into possibly as far as 2027. I had heard similar from multiple people up and uh, basically up until the point that I got that particular call. And um, when all the pieces came together, I you know. That's what I report. It's what I put out there. So Max and Tony have not come out 
disputed the reporting, commented on the reporting. So unless uh, unless told otherwise, I, I am under the impression that Max is um, under contract with, with AEW longer than what he is letting on right now. Yeah, it, it it seems like the you know the timing of December thirtieth being their um what's the name of the pay per view World's the, the End night, being the night that they're going to do that pay per view in Long Island in in, in MJF's hometown um or, or close to it that maybe that's that would be you know I, I imagine they were going to play it up as like this uh, summer of punk type moment where maybe you know, does he stay or does he go will he retain the title and then leave the company or something like that but it it sounds like he's staying with the company for, for yeah the future. Yeah, exactly. And I, uh, look, I, when I told, I, I asked around about this before I ran it. I had a couple people that were like, dude, you are going to get so much heat. Max is going to blast you. You're going to get in trouble. I have not heard a peep about this particular story. And I'm, I'm, I don't know. I mean, it was, it seemingly was the worst kept secret in pro wrestling. I mean, I, the amount of people that came out of the woodworks to text me or DM me and be like, dude, you know, you're right. Right. And I'm like, of course I know I'm right. That's why I put the story out. <laughs> like, why, why would you think I did? You know, Whatever. Yes. You know? So anyway, I, I, uh, I, 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 it's definitely pointed out to me. They have not been advertising Max for all, uh, all in, in London. There's other places they have not been advertising Max for next year. It does seem as if there was some kind of possible campaign to, con- you know, convince people Max was some, maybe leaving to set up a moment like what you're talking about. So I don't know how this report, changes that dynamic plans again did, did something else get thrown in disarray because of this now i'm not really sure i'm just telling everybody what i heard from well, I, sources i think we just look at it from just like face value that i think this baby face turn greatly changed whatever their plans were because it, it's a very difficult like storyline to play out that here's your top baby face that is threatening to leave the company and to, to play that up to a, any kind of drama, I think that this is, you know, suited for the, the previous character of MJF to be threatening to leave with the title. I think it's really hard to even play that out, nor would I really want to be introducing that story on my programming if I'm AEW at this point that one of my stars wants to leave. I just don't feel now is the time you really want to be even throwing that out. Well, I had to go back and Google Bidding War of 2024 before I ran the story. To see if, because like somebody, one of the quotes I put in the the article from somebody at WWE was like, I, I've heard that's why he's playing down the bidding war of 2024 because he's actually resigned. He hasn't actually used the phrase bidding war of 2024 since like, I think before August, right? Mm-hmm. There were comments he made playing into that because Sports Illustrated asked, like people asked him about it. And he was right. like, oh, yeah, sure. But he's not actively going out there at the moment and playing up this bitty. He'll he'll play into it if somebody asks him about it. But he's not cutting those kinds of promos right now. So he may already have been moving away from it. It could have just been like whatever PR people, for whatever reason, didn't want to advertise others. Who knows? Could all just be tinfoil hat stuff. But I definitely got the impression. I mean, look, a couple days before the pay-per-view, he was playing into the idea that there was going to be like Tony Khan was desperately trying to keep him. And it, it, it sounds like at least from WWE's end, they don't believe any of that to be true. They think this is a done deal and those two are, are playing and they don't want to be a part of the storyline anymore. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac burger, McNuggets or McCrispy sandwich, but you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it 
every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Well, uh, having Nick Houseman on, we are now going to move on to our other Chicago figure, that being uh, one Billy Corgan. Yeah. Uh, who you've been... <laughs> covering uh extensively and uh last night to the surprise of uh well not not many that are online we got the debut of the nwa on the cw app no announcement by cw no advance warning they just plopped down eight episodes onto the cw uh, app w- what did you think about this introduction of nwa power to uh the cw app nick oh wow um it was surprising even by what was expected from those I had talked to, you know, um, most, I mean, I was not expecting to see anything NWA related on C- any CW platform until uh, early 2024. Um, that's what Billy had teased. That's what people insert, even people that thought, Oh, well, the show, the TV show is not going to happen, but they'll still throw it on the app. They'll put it in the app in early 2024. So this being rolled out when it was with no announcement caught, even those that I spoke with that were, you know, didn't know how Billy would handle this, cut them off guard. Um, I do believe that these episodes are like older episodes that have already aired on YouTube. So I have a lot, I don't, you know, another time, maybe we could dive into the weeds. Like I have a million thoughts on this particular subject, but I know that Billy spent a lot of money to get the show looking ready for CW. And these shows that are uploaded to the CW app are of a quality that could be put on television. Right. Mm -hmm. But they were already aired on YouTube. So right. I don't really know what happened here. Like, this doesn't, doesn't seem to me like, or, you know, I, I'm just very confused by it. You know, I'm just very, very confused by this. And it, it felt like I, a very unorganized release, like to not even have the, the ability for NWA to announce this, that this is coming to build some anticipation and just drop I, it on I, your lap out of nowhere. It just felt like. The right hand not knowing what the left was doing. I, I know people want to say Nick Houseman overblowing this can't be as bad as described. And look, I'm not saying that anything's as bad or bad or whatever. I'm just reporting what I am hearing and am told by reliable sources. I know the CW people were upset about the blowback they got after the cocaine spot at Samhain. And, um, you know, I had heard that they were just like, we're done right and they're offloading this content early to get man i don't want my comments to be misconstrued here because i know people of note actually listen to this show but like you know they, they unloaded this quickly possibly to move past billy now they still have reality show content on the way right and as i have also reported the only reason i think cw made a deal with billy they wanted the footage of his wedding. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they get the reality show, which I'm also told is more wrestling than they expected. They kind of wanted one more that wedding, Billy, whatever. Um, they, they all, Billy then said, well, you want that? I, you also kind of got to get power, right? Or something along those lines. I, this is just how I've picked it up from various people. So the, the wrestling stuff was always going to air before the reality show, I was told in early 2024, but, um, not this early, and 
probably on TV. <laughs> you know, I heard that with the, you know, what I had heard was that this was all for trade. I've seen Wade say that, you know, they got offered eight figures or whatever for this. This doesn't look like how you treat a product that got you sold, eight, you paid eight figures for. You don't offload it like this in, in the middle of the night on a Tuesday if you put eight figures up for it, you know. So the, the idea I had always been heard was that this was for trade. Billy was looking for exposure for the NWA. If this so did well for season one, then maybe they pay him for season two, which is actually, I'm told, kind of a not so uncommon exchange in the television landscape these days. Brandon, you might know more about that. When you say season one, season two, are we talking the reality show or power? Power. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he, well, but again, like, Billy could come out right now and tell me how very, very wrong I am, but it just doesn't feel like there's any money that changed hands here. And I think, I think, and the reality show, maybe also season two, would he, he'd have got a budget for it if it does well. I don't really know what the expectations were, but I do know after Father James Mitchell did cocaine with Goat Boy or whoever, uh, everything changed dramatically, and now we are where we're at. So if, so if I can lay out the facts as, as I understand it's them, based on what, you, what you've reported here. So CW really wants the, the reality show, and maybe you know, Power is going to be a part of this as well. At least when, when, when you reported that this was going to happen several weeks ago, it sounded like both of those programs series were going to end up on CW's actual television network. Yes. Maybe it sounds like, especially with the, the power episodes just suddenly appearing on the app, maybe the power episodes are not going to end up on the television network. Maybe the reality show will still end up on the, on the television network. I, I, um, I have people telling me it'll be on the app and I, and I just, reality I, show or, the, or power. Well, power's already on the app, <laughs> but, but the I'm told the reality show most likely app bound, but I even at being told that, the, the the Billy Corgan wedding thing is a particularly valuable piece of content. Right. And I don't know that they can look past putting it on TV. Maybe they air it as like a marathon on a Saturday where it's like, be sure to tune in at seven for the only episode that matters. I don't really know. Um, but until I see it, um, it could go either way. But I have people telling me that, it'll, that it's app bound as well. So in the timing of, of the NXT deal happening is interesting, right? I believe right. the sequence of events is uh, you, you reported that NWA has a deal with CW. Right. Um, Father Father James Mitchell does cocaine. With Goat Boy. NXT has a deal, it's announced, with the CW. Right. Do you right. think those... those do you think that the, the controversy surrounding the, the cocaine spot on the NWA pay-per-view had any role yes. in, in the NXT deal happening? I, I 100% do. I've had people uh, from the WWE side um, tell me that they're under the impression that this this came together as forcefully and as quickly as it did, specifically because of the cocaine spot. As you can, uh, in one of my reports, I think there was a quote from somebody at the WWE that was like, there's never been a more costly mistake in all of professional wrestling history than the NWA Sam Hine cocaine spot. Um, and again, the reason I think that this was so quickly shifted was, and this is where we get into the weeds a little bit, either Billy announced he had a deal without having it signed mm -hmm. or he had a deal, but the deal was for trade, which was a not, which is a deal worth nothing other than I help you, you help me after the cocaine spot. If he doesn't have a deal, then, then uh, they're going to shift this thing over. But if he does have a deal and it's for trade, they can make the call. We're going to put this on the app rather than TV because all they're losing out on is whatever ad revenue they would have gotten for putting it on TV. So that's why I think that this was a four trade deal from the get. Now, once the decision is made, we're going to move this thing to the app. 
They still want another wrestling company on their airwaves. Now, I kn- we all obviously know they were talking to NXT. As I've reported at some point, they approached Tony Khan for Ring of Honor. Um, there are at least two other companies that I know, or I know of at least one other company that definitely met with them. I've heard of another major company that also met with them um, that I have not been able to verify, so we'll keep it as a tease for now. Um, but they were talking to other people. I think when the Sam Samhain spot ended, they went back, and whoever was the biggest fish next in line past Billy got the deal, and I think that was NXT. Yeah, an interesting name in the middle of all of this is uh, Brad Schwartz, who's one of the programmers at CW, who in yeah. an, another lifetime was at Pop TV when they had the relationship with TNA. So this is, and just given like the names that have been brought up here, like this is a network that seems to have a pretty healthy appetite for professional wrestling and not simply being swayed by the letters WWE. Like they are looking at professional wrestling of, you know, various companies that might be able to bring an audience to their network. Yeah, and and the thing too is it's a, it's a one two punch for them really with this. Actually, it's three, right? There's three punches they got out of this. One was the bag of money, which is presumably better, more money than they were getting paid at USA. Two, they're in this antitrust lawsuit or whatever right now, where they're being accused of not being able to share television channels with other wrestling products. Well, hey, look, we share we share space with Wow. Obviously, we're not <laughs> giant bullies. We're doing this program on the same network as as Wow. Right. Um, and then three, as they're involved in this lawsuit, trying to prove that they're not pu- bullying people off their, uh, these various platforms, they get the added bonus of being told, Hey, we don't want this person on our platform. We'd like you to be on our platform, which is them effectively doing that without having to do it. So there's like so many upshots, I think, for them in this deal moving to CW on top of the fact I, of the belief CW is moving in a more sports oriented direction and they will use NXT as a big, kind of selling point as they try to move in a more live events type space. So a lot, a lot of wins here across the board. When it comes to sort of NWA going into this next year, like Billy has put a lot of resources into this company and it feels as though there's always that can't that, that carrot that all of these companies have dangling in front of them to move to the next level. Right. Are you looking at this as though this is our time to either, you know, Make, make some significant deal or at that point you're starting to assess like, am I just throwing bad money after good and, and, uh, essentially making a decision point here? Like this either gets us to the next level or it's time to reassess like what, what's the viability of, of this group after years of putting money into it? Well, that sets up another one of my exclusives, uh, which was, yeah, about the impending roster and, and production costs. Now, uh, yes, Billy is uh, looking to cut a lot of costs right now at the year end. Uh, I know that there were production costs that already happened at the last set of tapings. One of the examples I gave in my reporting was I believe the hair and makeup budget has been like sliced in half. Um, the roster cuts, I don't believe, will start until early 2024. And it's less of a we're going to be releasing people as opposed to may not be re-signing as many people as expected. Um, and that is why I'm under the belief right now from those I've talked to uh, in the know that everyone is being uh, watched right now and their benefits and uh, what they can contribute to the company are being uh, weighed, which has um, resulted in a couple interesting uh, things. First of all, Billy Corgan publicly went and talked to Mike Johnson and said, no, Nick Hausman's an idiot. Uh, we're very financially strong and uh, no one's getting fired, which, by the way, music to my ears. I'm really happy to hear Billy say nobody's getting fired. I don't want to take credit for that, but it is nice to hear him say that out loud. Um, 
Yeah, and then, um, and then it brings the question up then. If he's cutting roster people, if he's cutting production people at a time when you're expecting an influx in money from the CW, that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, which, again, kind of ties into my thought that this was always a trade deal from the beginning um, because the cuts that are coming, I'm not under the impression were a reaction to the Sam Hain deal and the CW change. These were always anticipated coming, meaning this was always Billy's plan was towards the end of the year to make these cuts. It just doesn't feel like a company that had the anticipation of a lot of money coming in at this period of time. So, and, and also they're still airing weekly YouTube shows. Where's this new content they're going to put on CW in early 2024 coming from? The timeline doesn't even line up for that. The ability for them to make the content to deliver in 2024 based on their taping schedule does not make any sense. So I don't really know what's going on uh, over in NWA land at the moment. I mean, I do, but I don't, if that makes sense. Well, it's always a, uh, this to me is the, the real reality show content that is going on behind the scenes at the NWA right now. The, uh, the, the, the television drama, um, with Nick Houseman as your, as your host. Um, but he is also going to be your host of, uh, the brand new show, Rumor and Innuendo with, uh, Robert Karpolis. Tell us a bit about uh, the show that is launching Monday, how it came about and, uh, what, what we can expect on a daily basis from, uh, Nick Houseman and Billy Gorgon potentially, uh, dropping by maybe one of these days. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? Uh, I don't know that that will be happening, John. I'll be quite honest. But uh, no, this came together. I was looking for a new project to do. I, I wanted to get back to doing daily pro wrestling news uh, on a platform that you know was widely available that people could enjoy. Uh, I hit up Conrad. We'd always said we wanted to do something together. Said, you know, hey, we were both looking for something. Lo and behold, him and Dave Green, Mr. Podcasting, the guy behind Conrad Tops, that just got back from podcast movement. They were convinced they needed to get into the pro wrestling news space. They need, they wanted to present a piece of content to their advertisers that was not about classic wrestling, which is pretty much their whole catalog. So we began to get to work. And, uh, Robert was, uh, easy pick when I was, you know, tasked with finding somebody with a big platform that I like to work with, which he does. WWE Creative Ish, which will be streaming on about 250,000 followers on Twitter. Um, and, you know, he, Robert's a former WWE writer. He, he's producer MLW. He's helped. Uh, MJF, Darby Allen, Sammy Guevara, all these guys find their way, you know, between whatever it is that I do and his actual real world know-how. It's a pretty dynamic duo. We did a test show yesterday on the, on the ad free shows, Patreon had a blast. Everybody really enjoyed it. Got to do what you guys do with the comment section here. And it's going to only be a half hour Monday through Friday, noon Eastern, me and him, uh, all the hits, occasional guests. We'll do some fun, funny segments since he's a funny guy, does Russell Rose stuff and, just going to have a good time. So rumor and innuendo, find us Mondays, noon Eastern, and we will have it on the podcast feeds as well for those of you that want to listen to audio form. What have you, um, j- just going back to, especially this year, like you, you've been following a lot of these, these, you know, big and, uh, small stories. What have yeah. you sort of uh, taken away from, from this year? Like just being on the, the, like the daily grind and these can be very, complex and sometimes mind-numbing stories to be looking at from all different angles. Um, just what, what's, what's that been like to you in, in terms of doing this like on a day-to-day basis as opposed to like, you know, what one big story and, but this is like, you know, your daily grind. I, I think again, and I, I'm glad I tuned in 15 minutes early to hear what you guys were talking about before I came on. Cause you guys were saying some really smart stuff. Uh, I think that the rise, I think the rehabilitation of WWE has been 
the big story this year. You know, as much as people would want to say, oh, AEW's little off the tracks, losing interest. I think that, like you guys said, that's because WWE's getting its groove back, right? Like, and again, change in uh, creative direction. Vince is gone. That's something that's its own kind of thing where they're like, wow, we don't really like gross figures around our wrestling product anymore. So, you know, again, maybe you don't do yourself any favors. You bring Ric Flair in in that regard. You know, um, I, I just think that this year, uh, was a year of change in the in the vibe of the fans towards their products. You know, there was a lot of things that happened this year that made people feel emotionally really connected to one product or the other. And I think what we're getting set up here for in 2024 is this really epic showdown where Paul Levesque and Tony Khan are going to be throwing everything at each other. To, to I'm not because look, Tony has yet to set, announce a new TV deal. He can't go out there and get this thing if he's not got his cool factor and his groove on and is getting beat. So he's going to have to figure something out here. If it's not this tournament, it's going to be something else. This guy is trying things out right now. But Paul Levesque, he's got his playbooks. He knows what he's doing. And he wants, again, talk about my stories this year. One of my biggest stories this year was just a story where I talked to people at NXT. They're like, yeah, Hunter and Sean, they want to send a message to Tony. That's why we're doing all this stuff on October 10th. Tony Khan quote retweeted that, calling them bald assholes. That is the second most traffic story of the year for me at House of Wrestling. And I, it is just heating up, and I think fans should get ready for a truly kick-ass 2024. I think these two companies are going to be pulling out all the stops in, uh, next year. And, and this year set the stage for that perfectly, I think. Are you telling me you don't buy the narrative that WWE doesn't think at all about uh the number two wrestling company in the world and only concentrates on, on its main competitors, which are the NFL, Disney, um, and the NBA. Look, I, I, I know for a fact they, they watch what AEW is doing because they want to, they want to know because what AEW does affects how pro wrestling can be viewed in the marketplace. WWE does not like it when they are going and bleeding into each other's mouths, right? Because then people go, oh, that's wrestling. Wrestling's where you do that. That's not what WWE wants. That They're actively trying to pro project a product that is not that, and they're trying to produ project an environment, for what it's worth, that is not like the culture that we have been heavily exposed to um, in AEW over the last year. Um, so on both fronts, I think WWE is actively going to keep trying to do that. And, um, yeah, be, it be very interesting 2024. No more eyeballs, uh, being extracted in, in, in matches. We're, we're past that era now of WWE. I, I don't think we're going to see that. You know, I'll, I'll leave everybody with this one interesting and my, uh, an anecdote I, I've gotten a couple times from some very important people over there was that WWE is looking at this with the knowledge of what they learned from going up against WCW. And one of the biggest tactics that they learned. And uh, up against WCW was take the young guys that are getting over, polish them up and make them stars. Offload your talent that is older that you are paying a lot of money for and now has, you know, some idea of what they want, like creative control type stuff and send them to the other side. And we're seeing that cycle right now. You know, I wouldn't be shocked if next year you see maybe a Daniel Garcia, right? some other notable younger names over there that have been on the rise, make their way over to WWE land. And as talent gracefully ages out and is looking for that next opportunity in their career, like an Adam Copeland, 
you're going to see more of those. And it is, it is a tactic that WWE is embracing. And it's something I think that AEW should think about because if that's something WWE is actively trying to do as a tech, as a tactic to overload you and, uh, whatever, I don't know. Food for thought. Food for thought. I, I think it was interesting. I guess maybe it's a couple years ago now because it was Vince saying it on an earnings call where I think he was responding to a question about that that was coming from an analyst about talent moving from a moving from WWE to AEW. Maybe it was around the time that Danielson moved uh, and Punk debuted. And and Vince's response was that he said something in context of a larger statement, but he said, perhaps we can give them some more. As, as if to say, yeah, let, let, let them take our talent, which mm-hmm. whatever you want to make of that, that's a front for, for something. Um, but I, I do think that there's a value in, in W trying to achieve a goal, which creates a perception that AEW is a place where younger wrestlers may develop and then they graduate on to WWE. Um, is the, are there signs of that? Are there steps towards that happening already? Cody, is a bigger star in WWE now than he was in AEW. Um, maybe Jade Cargill is another instant, you know, instance yeah. of that. Um, yeah. Jade Pillman, right? They're trying with Pillman right now. A little rough, not gonna lie. But uh, yeah, I th- I just I know that their mindset right now is they're watching the young guys over there, and uh, those younger talents are going to be more appealing to them um, than other veteran stars who may have wanted to go over there and up their profile. Uh, unless they did a damn fine job of it. And for everyone who's asking, by the way, no, I don't believe CM Punk will be at Survivor Series this weekend. Um, that would be a huge surprise uh, on behalf of me and many other members of the press who have been led to believe uh, that is not the case. And um, I don't really know how long it will ever, how long it will be, if ever, that Punk does re- return to the WWE fold. He's kind of a special case here in this situation. I'm, I'm hearing more and more pessimistic comments about his return to WWE by the day. So, when he does appear at Sorry, when he doesn't appear at Survivor Series, though, can we blame you for him not being there? Yeah, I mean, sure, why not? I mean, everybody else blames me for everything else, you know? Sit here drinking my lime spindrift. Oh, nicely done. Look at this. The the unofficial (laughs) beverage of the uh, Brawl Inn. But everyone can go check out all of Nick's fine work, houseofwrestling.com, and the debut of Rumor and Innuendo this coming Monday. Um, if not Billy Corgan, I do expect you to line up an exclusive with Goat Boy. Okay? That's my request. <sighs> I reached out to James Mitchell. He faved me. He did not want anything to do with the Nick Hausman interview. So Probably I tried. Yeah. I tried. Well, Nick, uh, continue uh, all your great work, and uh, thanks for jumping on. Always a good time with you, and uh, thanks, enjoy the rest of your lime drink. Yeah, thanks, guys. We'll do. Bye. Thanks, Thanks, Dick. Enjoy that spin drift. <laughs> I, I was eyeing that. I'm like, is he drinking the drink? He's like, he, he was. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, but there you go. Nick Houseman, everybody. Uh, on top of the whole NWA Billy Corgan uh, cocaine incident, that is uh, one of the more interesting stories of uh, 2023. A lot, a lot happens yeah, through for, for the Chicago figures of, of pro wrestling. Yes. But on that note... Um, you know, it'll, it'll be certainly interesting to see kind of where, like, does NWA pick up any traction from this? I mean, I will, I will confess that until, uh, Lavi Margolin, uh, tweeted this out, I had no earthly idea that Women of Wrestling has been on the CW app for, uh, two years, uh, at this point. Now, I can also say, I don't believe I can even get the CW app up here in, in Canada. Um, but I mean, to me, just on the surface, uh, the CW app is probably not going to be 
uh, a game changer. But I guess it remains to be seen if there is any kind of television component to this. But I think it's a uh, it's an uphill climb, I would say, for anyone. It's not just getting on television. It's then ascending and getting some meaningful deal as well that is more than just quote-unquote exposure. Yeah, and, and when there was news broken about NWA being on the CW, I mean, there's a lot of subsequent questions around that. Like, is it going to be in prime time? Is this going to be syndicated like WoW is, where it's on at all different times, depending on where you are in the country? Or is it actually going to be in, in prime time at one time nationwide um or at this point is it even is power even going to air on on cw proper well brandon is uh are you going to be spending any of your thanksgiving holiday binging nwa power of the eight episodes available um unfortunately i will, I will not i will be uh visiting my family tomorrow Okay. Well, we want to wish Brandon uh, a happy Thanksgiving uh, coming up on Thursday. And you will be back on Sunday, correct, for WrestleNomics? I'll be back on Sunday for WrestleNomics Radio, which is a, a comedy podcast where the jokes are all about uh, spreadsheets that everyone should tune into. Um, it was it was a little unhinged yes, uh, last s- Sunday uh, as we talked about, wow, we talked about Tony Khan's comments uh, from the press conferences and from the media call that had just passed. Uh, and we, we went through... Oh, big data. I've been working hard in the Sublime Text text Editor coding in Python and combining all the data sets of, of all the big wrestling databases, whether it's Cage Match Wrestling Data, the History of W.com, WrestleTix, Polestar, all combined into one mighty spreadsheet to ask questions like, we, those aren't complete data sets, um, but combine them in, in to ask questions like, what was the average attendance and the total attendance of the World Wrestling Federation and WCW going all the way back to the mid eighties. So we get, we got an idea of that, uh, this, this past Sunday, which I, I had a lot of fun with that. When I was sent this covert, uh, Excel sheet with yes. all these attendance data points going back to 1963, uh, a, a wonderful gift in my, in my inbox, Brandon, it's, uh, phenomenal. it's a little dirty as I was looking through it again after sending it to you and, and others. Um, but it's, it's the best that we have yet, I think, in terms of aggregating all this information together. Uh, probably really a large part of what motivated this is the timing of the, of the Observer Hall of Fame. And, you know, people always, you know, we talk about our, our candidates and who we're going to vote for and not vote for. And a lot of that is based on, you know, so-and-so had a great house show run with so-and-so. And, all right, well, let's get the data centralized and look at that. Yes. If you're missing out on WrestleNomics, uh, again, Sundays, patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. You are missing out on the untold case for Ed Leslie in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter <laughs> Hall of Fame that Brandon has un- has dug up some some data points that might give some uh some leverage behind a uh, an Ed Les an Ed Leslie. And, and I realized since, since Sunday's uh, presentation that we I, I somehow it omitted Randy Savage, so there will be a correction and a rectification of of, of that incident this coming Sunday. It'll, it'll have to be in the slides. Um, but you know, what, you know, what people can't miss is these new news updates that you've been doing in audio. I've, I've just been fascinated by this. Oh, well, th- thank you so much. If you, uh, if you care to join our, uh, double double or espresso tier at postwrestlingcafe.com, I've been doing, uh, audio versions of my written news updates. So, uh, those are uh, coming out multiple times per week. Uh, Monday, we had, uh, Rob Bahari, aka, uh, Rob Viper, who we should definitely have on this show at some point. Um, a lucha expert who was down in California over the weekend. He attended the West Coast Pro Show with, uh, Chris Hero's return and then attended Full Gear. So we got into, uh, Rob's thoughts on those two shows as well into a nicely condensed package trying to keep uh I, I think that Nick, Nick Hausman has the same idea as me uh some some shorter form 
audio content out there for the, uh, could you imagine a 30 minute wrestling show to, to follow each week? I mean, that's, that's how a promotion makes inroads in 2024. Yes. Bite-sized content. That's um, it. 10 minutes or less. That's it. All right, everyone. That is it for us. Uh, Wei Ting and I are back tonight on the post YouTube channel with Rewinded Dynamite. And then, of course, uh, WrestleNomics, as always, you can follow WrestleNomics.com for all the latest ratings, notes, quarter hour breakdowns, analysis, attendance figures. And he will be on top of everything coming up this weekend uh, with Survivor Series weekend and then a match by match rundown on Sunday, I'm sure, with uh, yeah. Jesse Collins. I've, I've uh, been writing uh, more more posts than usual in the last couple of days, trying to take some of this uh, Twitter energy and redirect it to, to uh, Patreon and to subscribers, which is probably a healthy thing to do. So we'll see if that lasts. Okay. We're back next week, everyone. We will, uh, we will have some guests here where, uh, you know, we, we have, uh, we, we have uh, thrown out the, uh, the, the fishing rod. We're going to see if there's any bite on, on the bait. Um, we're, we're trying to land a, uh, sizable catch uh we will see and now i have uh jinxed our hopes of uh, having this person but regardless we'll have someone here next week uh so that is it for us thank you for tuning in for nick houseman brandon thurston i am john pollock and thank you for tuning in to this week's edition everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.